Woof. Brennan's really set me up for success with that one. So that's not true. I mean, I timed myself. I was 28 minutes this morning here, you guys. So let's hope for a quicker one. But we're really excited to be celebrating what God is doing at the moment. And I think one of the things we love to do as a church is we do love to serve people coming in and visiting us. So if you are here for the first time, welcome. My name is Grant. I'm one of the pastors here. And it is good to have you. And um, as you look around this morning, this venue is looking a little bit scruffy. You might have noticed we've got some holes in the roof. Uh, You might have noticed a little bit of dust on the floor. And there's also like a lot of scaffolding and things going on over there. And we are helping the school at the moment, just with some renovations and change going on in this room, which is a real cool partnership to be involved in. Um, So you might have noticed this door has popped up out of nowhere to my left, and today we're going to be moving into our new storeroom. We've actually had a lot of stuff going on downstairs. From today, we're going to store most of our things here, which gives us a bit more space. It means actually we don't have to log things up and down every week. If you're part of a serving team like Christo, you know that that is a really big deal. And I really do just want to honor our serving teams and our bands, who for the last three years have logged things up, lugged, lugged, not logged, things up and down the stairs week in and week out, actually so that we can worship together. So I just want to honor all of you guys and say a huge thank you. And probably next time you come here, there'll be some different things in different places around here. There will be a fan up there that is missing, and this fan that is turned off will be on properly. I think that's just part of the process. But it is really exciting to see all of that happen. And then after kind of weeks of us moving this uh, hall around a little bit and seeing what could work the best, we will be focusing back there on the screen. So this is actually going to be another game changer for us as a church, kind of having a permanent screen on the wall. We're going to be seeing whether we can use the school speakers or our own speakers, but it just helps us in terms of setup and excellence with what we do. So I think that's a really, really cool thing that we can celebrate together. And it's just cool to see Harbor City kind of moving forward, even just in our venue, with some changes and some good next steps. But I'm not going to take too long like Brendan was saying, but I hope you have been enjoying our Hidden Messages series. And I know there are some of you here today who are new, or maybe this is your first Sunday here. We've been preaching through the five one-chapter books of the Bible, some of the books that we think are often overlooked or kind of missed by people. And we're really trusting as we go through the series that actually us as a church would get to know the Bible better. We would know the scriptures and love them. And actually we'd get to touch some themes that maybe we don't touch on too often. So over the last three weeks, we've covered Obadiah, Philemon, and 2 John. Don't feel bad if you haven't heard of those books before. But they've actually had some really strong, like kind of punch-in-the-gut topics that they've covered. Like In Obadiah, we looked at God's justice. And then in the second week in Philemon, we looked at reconciliation, and we looked at dealing with conflict in relationships. It was another tough one. And then last week, we looked at the book of 2 John, which covered a lot around truth and love and false teachers coming into the church, and actually what it looks like for us as a church to grow into maturity more and more. So I would encourage you to go online and check out some of those sermons if you've missed them. But this week, we're into the book of 3 John. And again, it's covering some really big, true life situations, but it really is focusing on the big idea of service and hospitality in our lives and in our church. And probably even as I say those two words, hospitality, service, there's some situations that pop up in your mind from your life which have not been great illustrations of service or hospitality. Maybe you stayed in a hospital, uh, a hospital. Maybe you stayed in a hospital and you've had bad service or a hotel, and it's just been a disgusting situation. No one has served you or thought of you at all. You've been into a restaurant or a store, and the, the people who work there have been rude. They haven't been thoughtful. The place has been dirty. All of those things going on. Or maybe because I can think of people in this room, you know some people in your life who have served you and loved you and hosted you incredibly, incredibly well. And even as I speak through this message, you're going to go, wow, I'm stretched by their example and the kind of life that they live to actually live a more loving, servant-hearted life. That's kind of what we see 
today in the book we're going to get into. But while I was researching for today, I was kind of looking up some stories of bad service and hospitality, and I came across the most incredible story of service. I don't know if you guys have heard of a little website called the Huffington Post, but a guy named Chris Hearn, he wrote this story on the Huffington Post about an experience him and his family had when they were staying at the Ritz-Carlton on Amelia Island in the USA, and they had an amazing time. They went there, they had a great rest, they stayed in the hotel, they played in the pool, they were on the beach, they enjoyed all the amenities that the hotel had to offer them, and then on the way home, like a scandal of scandals, they realized as they got home that their son had left his stuffed giraffe toy, Joshy back at the hotel. It was a nightmare. And Chris Hearn, being the smart man that he was, he decided, I know what I can do. And he told his son a lie. He said to him, no, 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 boy, sorry, we didn't communicate this well with you, but we planned this all along. Joshy enjoyed his time at the Ritz so much that he asked if he could stay just a little bit longer. And you know what? They're taking care of him. So what he did is he phoned the Ritz. He said, guys, have you found this toy? Can you find him anywhere? They said, yes, we've got Joshy. Don't worry. And he said, could you put up a photo of Joshy just lying on a lounger by the pool that I can show my son so that he knows that Joshy is safe and sound and having a good time? Can you go to the next picture? This is Joshy having a little massage. He's being treated very, very well at the Ritz. And this next picture shows you the rest of what Joshy got up to. There's him hanging out with some other soft toys. He's driving a golf cart because he's playing a few rounds on the course. He's there hanging out with a parrot in the animal menagerie place. And then lastly, he's actually serving with the staff in the security room and just making sure everything is hotel in the uh, hotel. It's really, really cool to see what they did. And I thought this was just such an incredible example. I mean, you can imagine being the staff member who gets that call, and you just think, this is so ridiculous and lame, you know? Now I've got to take this toy down to the pool and take a photo and send it back to this guy. They might never even stay at this hotel again. You know, this kid who I'm going to make happy with this, he doesn't have money to stay at a hotel. Like, this is such a waste of my time. But the staff there had a little bit of fun with it, and they raised the bar, and they did something incredible, which they didn't know was going to go viral and be known around the world and be preached on in a church in Durban. But they went out of their way to take all of these photos and put them into a binder. And on the front, it said, Joshy's Big Holiday. And they even made like a bit of a name tag with Joshy with a photo and his name so that he would never get lost again and he would feel special while he was at the Ritz-Carlton. Isn't that an incredible illustration? Now, the Bible's got a lot to tell us about hospitality and service. And actually, that actually in the way we love people, that we reflect something of God's own heart towards us. And that's exactly what hospitality is, you know. It's loving others with a selfless love like Jesus has loved us. And today as we get into the book of 3 John, we're going to see the illustration of two people. One is someone who lays down his life for others, and the other is someone who is only living for himself. So if you do have a Bible with you today, can you open to the book of 3 John? Otherwise, it will pop up just behind me on the screen here. But it really is an interesting book. It's three books from the end of the Bible, and it is the shortest book of the Bible at 200 19 words. If you don't believe me, you can count for yourself. 3 John 1 verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Last week, if you were here, we looked at the book of 2 John, which was written by the same author, the elder or John the Apostle, you know, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And we said that he was an old man at the time of writing this letter, and he was writing to one of the churches that he was overseeing at the time. He was kind of a leader over a whole bunch of churches in his old age, and he was helping them. Now, this letter addressed to Gaius is written to probably an area in Pergamum, a city around Ephesus at that time. 
And Gaius is the recipient. Imagine getting a letter of the Bible written specifically to you. What an honor, hey? But now, interestingly, Gaius was probably the most popular name in the Roman Empire at that time. So there were a lot of Gaiuses. You'll see, actually, as you read through the scriptures, Gaius is mentioned again and again and again. I don't know if any of you know the hottest baby names for boys in 2017. Anyone want to take a guess? No one be looking up baby names. Shane's not on the list. I'm sorry. Maybe in the bottom. I don't know. Anyone want to take a shot? No one's been looking up names. Okay, we've got Asher. We've got Ezra. We've got Noah, Liam, Harry, and Oliver. The Liam and Harry thing worried me a little bit because it sounds like some of the One Direction fans are starting to have kids, but it is what it is. There are a number of Gaiuses mentioned in the Bible, and this one they think is actually Gaius of Derby, who traveled with Paul from Greece to Macedonia to go and collect money from the churches as he went to raise funds for the church in Judea that was really struggling financially at that time. And church history tells us that this Gaius would later go on to become the bishop of the church in Pergamum, probably the city that this letter is addressed to or where Gaius was living at the time. And we don't really know Gaius' role in the church. You know, we don't find out too much about what he does, but we get the idea that he is an important person in this church. Maybe he's an elder, maybe he's a deacon, but he is a really influential member of this community. And maybe you can think of some of the influential people sitting around you in this church now. He was also known by John. John calls him beloved four times in writing to him in this letter, and he also says that he prays for him regularly, and he calls him child, meaning either that John had led this man to the Lord, or that actually he had a bit of a father-son relationship going on. John was a father figure to him, and he mentored this guy, Gaius. But John writes a little bit more about him, and in verse 3 to 8 we read, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And John gives us something of a portrait of what this man Gaius is like here. And firstly, in verse 2, he tells us he's spiritually healthy. He says, it goes well with your soul. So this guy Gaius would have been a spiritually mature follower of Jesus. He knew God. He was in a healthy space with God. Secondly, in verse 4, we find out that he was walking with God. You know, and there's a lot of people who've been in church for a long time or know a lot of Bible information or call themselves Christians, but actually aren't living out their faith. They aren't applying what the scriptures teach us or the ways of Jesus to their lives. But Gaius wasn't like that. Gaius was a man who lived out what Jesus had taught. He lived out his faith. And thirdly, we see that Gaius is faithful, hardworking, and a loving servant in the church. And I just thought of our deacons in this church. And I just wanted to ask if you guys could stand for a second. Don't be shy. Come on, deacons, let's stand up. Come on, front-footed leaders, confident, not going to sit around. These are some of the deacons of this church, the servant leaders in Harbor City who we've kind of set in place. Well, you're, you're not really, but I mean, you can stand. But you're a wonderful member of this community, so we do want to honor you. You can stand too. But these are some of the deacons of Harbor City 
who served this church in a number of different ways. I mean, we've just seen Nate up front leading us in worship. Some of these people lead bands or lead life groups or lead serving teams or lead ministries in this church to facilitate the things that God has called us to do, to make disciples, to pray for people, to care for people, to make sure the stuff gets done. I really do just want to honor you guys. You guys are an amazing bunch of people, a gifted bunch of people, and we appreciate you a lot. Can we, can we give them a round of applause? Yeah, we're celebrating on Saturday this week, our end of year party together, but we had a fun last deacons meeting for the year this last week. But John um, kind of honored this man as a servant of the church, and he writes about how he had sent a bunch of his ministry buddies to this church, probably in Pergamum, and he sent them there to do some ministry, and when they had gotten back to John, they fed back about Gaius. They spoke about what an incredible host he had been, how hospitable he had been, how well he had served them, how well he had loved them is one of the things they testified in front of the whole church. And they just spoke about this man of incredible character. Now, I don't know what that exactly looked like in the first century, but I imagine as the team arrived there after their travel from wherever they came, guys picked them up, you know, at the camel station or wherever it was, and he took them back to his home, and he kind of cleaned everything up. Everything was nice and neat and looking good. The beds were made. There were, uh, there were towels on every single bed. There were chocolates on every pillow because he wanted them to feel at home, and guys had even moved out of his room so they could stay in his room because that was the best place in the house, you know, and while they were staying there, he actually took them all around Pergamum so they could check out the city, he took them to some of the hot spots so they could have a bit of fun and get a good idea of what's going on in the area that they're in, and he would drive them around around. He would make their meals, maybe bought them a few coffees, whatever he did. But he hosted them incredibly well, and he reflected something of God's love and God's own service in the way he treated these people. Now, that really is a normal thing for us. That's part of our culture as a church. But this seems to have been something that was new and developing in the churches in the ancient Middle East at that time. But then what happens is John carries on, and he writes about another leader in the church, a man named Diotrephes, who is a completely different kettle of fish. He's a really, really different guy. And as much as he commends and honors Gaius in this letter, he really blasts and tells off Diotrephes with the words that he speaks. And from verse 9 to 15, John writes this, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. I want you to think through the scenario with me for a second. Diotrephes is likely the lead pastor or maybe the most influential person in this church at the time. And he is under the authority and leadership of John, who was kind of the apostle looking after this church in Pergamum at the time. 
And John sends this bunch of his pastor buddies, this team of people who could come into the church and do some ministry. They would preach and teach on the Sunday. They'd do some training during the week. They'd help equip leaders. They'd meet with people. And they would do this to help build up and mature the church. That was their goal. And the church has always had traveling preachers like this. You know, Jesus traveled from town to town, and he preached in different areas. And it's such a healthy thing, you know, for people from the outside who are part of churches to come in with fresh eyes and with their gifts and their strengths and their vantage point to help a church to mature and grow and point out some blind spots and speak some strong words and encouraging words and help each church flourish into maturity. I don't know if you thought this year of the five guys who've come and preached in this church. You know, we've had... Gabe, Nigel, Tula, Andy, and Brad, who've all come and done different ministry in this church, which has been so beneficial. I mean, I think Brad speaking at our um, evangelism training night at the prep room was one of my highlights of this year. I got texts like by the next morning, three people from this church had decided that they wanted to speak to someone about the love of God and had done that between 10 a.m. and 8, 10 p.m. and 8 a.m. I don't know how they found the time, but three people from this church had done that. And then we also had Nigel in, and Nigel during our relationship series preached about friendship. And I think more than anyone who's been in in ages, people have come up to me and said, hey, Nigel's a good preacher. Maybe we should get him in again. That preacher on friendship was really, really good. We've had Andy in a few times. He's taught us about the gospel and helped us to apply it to all of our life. And I think it's helped to shape something of the culture of this church. We've had Gabe come, and I think with his passion, he imparted faith to us for something of what God has called us to. And he's been such a faithful friend. He texted me again this morning. He does it nearly every Sunday just to say, I'm praying for you guys, Harbor City. I'm excited about what God is doing with you. And Tula was here actually a month ago to the day. He preached on making disciples, and he shared something of his passion to see each of us in the places God has placed us, sharing the gospel and helping people to follow Jesus and grow up in their faith. I'm sure next year we'll have a bunch of different gifted friends and preachers come in to help us grow in different areas as a church too. But Diotrephes, this leader in the church, doesn't see this as a gift. He's threatened by this happening. You know, he does not like all of this going on because this is his church and this is his people and this is his community. And what if the people prefer the preaching of these other guys and say, hey, get Nigel back. He's a really good guy, you know? He's really worried about that. He seems to be insecure. Secondly, how arrogant must this guy Diotrephes be? John is this incredible man. He was one of Jesus's 12. He was also part of the three, Jesus's inner core of friends. And the Bible seems to hint at the fact that John was Jesus's best friend. What an incredible guy. On top of that, John is the only surviving apostle at the time. Everyone else is dead. So in terms of like spiritual street cred, John is the only person alive at that time with that kind of level. And when Diotrephes hears what John wants him to do, he says, we're not doing that. We're going to do something else. He takes all of this as a threat, and he turns the people away. Maybe we can think of it in a different way. Uh, Just imagine Shell and I go away for six months to kind of preach and minister in other churches, and we leave Shane and Brendan to run the show. And while we're away, well, before we go away, we organize things so everything is fine, and we know that there's going to be extra pressure and responsibilities on Brendan and Shane. So we organize some people to come in over those months to help carry the load and preach on Sundays and encourage and build up the church. And then you know what happens? It's like a bit of a coup going on in the church. These guys arrive. They've spent money to travel to get you. They've taken time off work. You know, they've left their churches behind. They've left families. They've made all sorts of plans back home so that they could come and be here with Harbor City. And they arrive at the airport, and there's no one there to fetch them. Like, what's going on? So they're calling Brendan and Shane. They've got their numbers. Where are you guys? Where are you guys? Brendan and Shane, just keep hitting the red button. No, we're not answering your call. We're not going to fetch you. No one's organized to host them. 
And then you know what these guys do? They say, okay, we'll just go. They organize a hotel for themselves. They stay there during the week. And on the Sunday, they show up. They're not discouraged, even though the church has ignored them. They come prayed up, ready to preach, ready to minister in the church. And as they get to the door downstairs, Brendan and Shane are standing there at the door like this. Who do you guys think you are? What do you guys think you're doing here today? And they kick them out. They say, you are not welcome in this place. That's exactly what is going on here with this letter that John has written. It seems like there's some kind of pride in diatrophies or some kind of ambition for prominence and role and growth in the church. He wants to climb the church ladder and he wants to get ahead. And John's angry. Imagine, I would feel angry if that happened in this church. I would think to myself, can you believe it? The church has missed out on this opportunity, and we've got elders who are seeking their own kind of advantage in the church. They're ambitious for their own gain. That's exactly what is going on here. And John writes to Gaius in this situation, one, to encourage him, but also to tell him that he's already written to Diotrephes about these things, and he shared his concerns with him, but Diotrephes has scrumpled up that letter and just thrown it in the bin. He's completely ignored what John has been saying, and now he started to slander John and speak about him behind his back. There's this big power play going on. And if you're new to the church, if you're exploring Christianity, I just want to be honest with you and let you know, sadly, these things do even happen in the church of Jesus Christ. It's not the way that it should be, but sadly, from time to time, these things do happen. And John paints this portrait of what Diotrephes is like so that we can get a better idea. This name, Diotrephes, which is such a weird one, no one's going to name their kid that anymore, is a name that only the noble people would use, the aristocracy of kind of the Roman Empire at that time. So we know that Diotrephes grew up in a fancy home, a wealthy home. He had uh, important parents of influence in the area. And actually, he probably would have grown up not being used to being told what to do and maybe a little bit bratty. So we see that Diotrephes has got some serious character issues as he grows up. Added to this, the apostolic age is coming to an end. All of the apostles except for John are dead. So there's like this weird change in the church. Like these guys who had followed Jesus, who had always led and taken the message out and served the church, are all dying. And it's new leaders who are taking their place and playing new roles in the church. And it seems that Diotrephes wants to be one of these bishops. He wants to get promoted. He wants to oversee a bunch of churches and a bunch of elders. And he wants to earn a name for himself in Pergamum and beyond. And John writes about him and says, listen, this guy has cold-shouldered me. He's told the people that I've sent to the church to get lost. And he's even excommunicated or kicked members of the church, faithful members of the church out because they disagree with him. This is the kind of man that Diotrephes was. Sounds like the real pastors of Pergamum, some kind of reality TV show or something like that. But Diotrephes wants to be the man. He wants to be the man. Diotrephes doesn't want to be told what to do. Diotrephes doesn't want the threat of these other people. He doesn't see them as a gift. Diotrephes is trying to build his own empire in the church. He's not trying to build the kingdom of Jesus. I don't know if you guys have heard of Johann Sebastian Bach. He's this musician who I don't know too much about at all. But I read this amazing story about him. You know, he was a musical prodigy from when he was young. And we've got over a thousand of his pieces of music uh, that we know of. There could have been a ton more that he wrote. But interestingly, whenever he wrote his music, he wrote his own initials, JSB, on the music that he wrote. And then on top of that, he also wrote SDG those two sets of initials. So you kind of go, well, what is all of that about? You know, is it him and like his co-writer? Who's this other person? What's going on? But SDG stood for Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. 
And it's this beautiful thought. You know, he wrote all of the music. This is his music. God gifted him, and he created all of this work which blessed the world. But he wasn't making this for himself, and he wasn't making this for his own glory. This music was SDG. It was for God. It was dedicated to him. It was to bring glory to him. But Diotrephes, on the other hand, he had no SDG on anything he did. He didn't even use his initials. He wrote his name in big, bold, capital letters. He wanted everyone to know Diotrephes was here. Diotrephes did this work. He was a very different man. And worst of all, John writes in verse 9 and says, Diotrephes likes to put himself first. I think to me, like the thought of appearing in a cameo in the Bible, like even just a few words would be the coolest thing, you know? Grant who loved the church, or Nick who served in this way, or whoever you are, imagine writing yourself into the church in a certain way. But Diotrephes gets three or four verses dedicated to him, and the most stinging line is that he likes to put himself first. He's not living for Jesus, he's living for himself. What a burn to be in scriptures for all time as a warning to followers of Jesus of what not to do, you know? Just a few verses back, in verse, uh, sorry, just a few verses back, we read about the people who were traveling in to preach in those churches, and we read that they existed for the name. They existed for Jesus. But here we've got Diotrephes doing everything he does for himself and his own glory. He was ambitious, but he wasn't ambitious for God. He was ambitious for himself. And he was an incredible servant. It's just he wasn't serving the church. He wasn't serving the gospel. He wasn't serving Jesus. He was serving his own purposes and serving to get himself ahead. And that's why John is commending Gaius here, because Gaius is a picture of the same kind of love and grace that God has shown towards us. And while I was preparing for this message, uh, some of you would know this, some of you wouldn't, but there's just the most incredible story of service and sacrifice, which has just come out of Red Point in this last week. Some of you would know about Bonnie Kutsia, some of you would be friends with her, some of you wouldn't. But just over a year ago, around a year ago, they found out that she had kidney failure. She was about 17 or 18 at the time, going into matric finals, and it was this crazy moment for her of matric is stressful enough as it is, but now she's got her kidney failing. And she started dialysis, and the doctors tested her, and they found that actually her kidney would need to be replaced. This couldn't be repaired. This couldn't go on for too much longer. She needed a kidney transplant. And you know what her family did is they got tested. They were willing. You know, we, we would give our kidney if we could. Her dad was in there, but he wasn't a match. Other people were in a match. And there was a woman in Red Point who had known Bonnie for years who just felt like the Holy Spirit kind of put this on her heart. Would you give your kidney to this girl? One seventeen, eighteen, one around 40. Would you give your kidney? So she started to pray about this, and she spoke to her husband about this. This is a big decision for her to make. You know, This could change her life. You know, There's always a risk with surgery. There's always a risk going under the knife. Now, you're going to give one of your organs to someone else. So she speaks to her husband and prays and then goes to the family and says, we feel that it's what God wants from us to actually give our kidney so that Bonnie can benefit. And this last week, they went into surgery. You can pop up the photo. This is Bonnie on the left and Andrea on the right. And she went in, and she had the op. You know, the doctors looked. Both of her kidneys were good. And the doctor said to her, we're going to take your better kidney because there's a better chance of the graft working. So she gave her best kidney. And what I heard is the day she was going into theater, she said to the people around her, what a privilege to be able to serve and give this gift to someone else. I think that is such a challenging and beautiful story, you know. 
That is someone living SDG. That is not someone living for themselves. That's someone who the kingdom of God has come in their life and they're doing this for God and others. They're not living for themselves. And I thought how incredibly beautiful this is. Andrea's life had been changed by Jesus who didn't just give his kidney but gave his entire life for her. And now here's Andrea going under the knife thinking this is the least I can do or this is something I can do to benefit and bless Bonnie. Now, the reality is this is not an everyday story. You know, this doesn't happen all the time in the church. This is something that maybe will never happen in the history of Harbor City. But it is such a beautiful picture of what the gospel does in us. It changes us from being a people who live for ourselves and live for our own name and glory and benefit to become the kind of people that will give and sacrifice and put our own lives on the line so that other people might have a new life. We're no longer living for ourselves, but we're living for the name. And in 3 John 1 verse 11, John writes and says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. And I think what could happen today is you listen to this message and you say, Grant, I've got it. Be a good person. Don't be an evil person. Be kind. Be selfless. Be sacrificial. Don't be evil. Don't be selfish. Don't be focused on all of those things, you know. But the message of 3 John is not that. It's not be Gaius. It's not don't be Diotrephes. That is not what the message is. The message is what is shaping you? What is at the heart of you? Are you being transformed by this gospel to become more like Jesus, to serve and sacrifice for others? Or are you being shaped more by the world around you to live for yourself and your benefit and your prominence? You see, the gospel teaches us that God has given us so much. And with the resources we have, yes, they're for ourselves to enjoy and take pleasure in, but they're also to benefit and advance other people's lives. And we see that because Jesus has already done that for us. In Philippians 2, verse 3 to 8, it says this about the life of Jesus. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Diotrephes leveraged his resources and his life to serve himself. He was influenced by the world around him. But Gaius leveraged his life and resources to serve others and to see them benefited and get ahead just like Bach did, just like Andrea Schleicher, just like the deacons in this church, just like many people in this room today who are using our lives for the benefit of Jesus and other people. I want you to know that in this church and in this city, you will experience the selfishness of diatrophies. Sadly, he was one of the most influential leaders in that church, and we could have a few sitting in here today. But I also want you to know you will experience the selfless servant-heartedness of Gaius in this church. And hopefully we as a community are becoming more like that to the city around us. But I do want to promise you that if you're sitting here today, you can experience the sacrificial love of Jesus this morning. What he has done for you is something you can experience today. The death he has died in your place to bring forgiveness and to wash you clean and to free you from guilt and shame and to give you the new life that he promises inside of him can be yours this morning. So for us, Harbor City, how do we put this into practice? Very simply, don't put yourself first. Can we be the kind of people who, like Gaius, like others in this uh, morning's talk, would selflessly put on this kind of life 
and live for others? Can we put Jesus first and live SDG? Can we be warm to other people, invite them into our lives, pray for them and care for them, and see the kingdom of God come in this community and come in the city beyond us? Can we stand and pray? Lord, I really do thank you for the example you set to us of your own life, which is poured out for us. Jesus, it's incredible to see how you laid down your life for us, how God would come down to earth, would die on the cross, would shed his blood so that we could have a new life. And I pray, Lord, that that gospel would reshape our thinking and our hearts and our lives, how we see ourselves, the decisions we make, uh, what we do with our lives. And I pray that we would become a selfless, servant-hearted, hospitable, amazing community that loves the world around us incredibly well. In Jesus' name, amen.